This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Google CEO Sundar Pichai testified before the House Judiciary Committee yesterday. He's just the latest Silicon Valley executive to be grilled by members of Congress about his company's activities on a variety of fronts, including search algorithms, data privacy, activities in China, and other topics. Republican lawmakers allege that uh, Google's search results showed a bias against conservatives. Pichai denied that, saying that he leads the company without political bias and that Google provides platforms for diverse perspectives and opinions. With more on the testimony, we are joined here in studio by Senthield Veragon, excuse me, Veragon, who is a professor of operations, information, and decisions here at the Wharton School, and also joining us on the phone, Andrew Matwishin, who is a professor of law and professor of computer sciences at Northeastern University. Senthield, great to have you here. Thank you for coming in. Great to be here. Th- thank you, Andrew. Great to have you on the phone. My pleasure. Thank you. Uh, I guess give us your sense of, of the testimony that that he had yesterday. And obviously, there were a wide range of topics, but the commentary uh, of some of the politicians from the Republican side about this bias seemingly was one of the main topics that they wanted to discuss. Cynthia, that is certainly seemed to be the case. That certainly seemed to be the case yesterday. Um, I thought the biggest thing that I saw was the. Uh, that well-experienced digital divide, so to speak, between Congress and the government, and how Silicon Valley is, and uh, so most of the most of the questions were about bias, and you saw a lot of Republicans asking questions about whether Google search results were biased, and a lot of Democrats responding, and I, I thought somewhat defending Google. So the, this was what the conversation was mostly about, instead of getting into some details that are actually more interesting or more important to users that use Google every day. What would you have liked to have seen really um, discussed? I, I, I thought one of the smartest questions that happened yesterday was actually from a Republican congresswoman, uh, Karen Handel, who asked a question about um, asking users to opt in versus opt out uh, from yeah. a variety of services. And I thought that was a good question that actually didn't uh, go anywhere. And Google, um, uh, Sundar Pichai, who actually had great responses to a lot of questions, did very well, I thought, didn't want to broach the topic much. Uh, I thought that was, a, that was a good question that is very relevant to a lot of users of the internet and on their mobile phones. Andrea, what were your thoughts and, and what would you have liked seen discussed? So I think that this testimony is an interesting counterpoint to Mark Zuckerberg's previous testimony. And I think Pashai came off as far more respectful uh, of the members of Congress. Um, And uh, the question of bias, which kept coming up, I think highlights a topic that is salient and kind of easy to understand without requiring a lot of technological sophistication necessarily for uh, some folks, uh, though I will point out in the defense of members of, of Congress who may not have necessarily seemed in all cases very technologically sophisticated, that um, while some of the, the bias framings were, I would argue, uh, potentially disingenuous and uh, lacked uh, necessarily a robust understanding of the, the way that, that Google's at least corporate culture works, which I think many of them would say that a company has a right to a political opinion. Um, For example, there was one instance where one of the representatives mentioned that uh, when he clicks on his 
Google News timeline, he doesn't see the most recent news reports first and that he doesn't yeah. understand why he just spent a bunch of time on TV doing interviews over the weekend and he can't seem to find it in his news feed. So I think that's, for example, a valid critique. And so there, there were some kernels of um, constructive suggestions for Google to ramp up operations um, in a way that better engages with users to help them receive the services that they want and to understand what's going on. The pushback that Pashai received on user education, I think, was also rightfully placed. Uh, the terms of use and privacy policies that exist on all of the major websites, as we've discussed on this show many times, are not at all understandable to an average person. And Google spends, I'm sure, millions of dollars a year usability testing some of their products, but probably zero or low time usability testing the terms of use, the legal language that actually uh, requires meaningful consent from consumers. So the, uh, the point about the interface between the technology and human users, I think that was well taken. For me, the most interesting part of the, the hearing was the dragonfly conversation about the extent to which Google is engaging with the Chinese government. Right. I thought that was the one place where um, uh, my impression was that Pishai was um, seeking to uh, choose words carefully and to minimize the length of time that the discussion continued. Uh, so that is an area that, that I will continue to monitor to see what comes out in, in the news uh, with respect to that. But the, uh, back to the, the corporate culture bias point that we started with, um, one of the areas where I think Pishai could have been a little more aggressive would be to explain that the corporate culture of some technology companies such as Google is to create a welcoming uh, uh, environment for employee exchange. So even if there is a uh, chat room or a board where employees from one side of the political spectrum may post, nothing stops employees from the other side of the political spectrum from also creating a parallel board or chat room. Right. So it's not that the company is choosing those views. It's that the company is providing a forum for the free speech of the employees. And indeed, labor laws might uh, have a negative reaction if the company tamps down on employee speech and, for example, union organization activity. So that is one area where he could have gone a little bit more on the attack, um, and it's something that um, his lawyers can work with him to craft that middle line between respectful uh, response and uh, more proactive uh, self-defense of the company's position on creating a more open corporate culture than many of the members of Congress may expect to see in a company of Google size. Cynthia? Yeah, I think um, I would agree that uh, Sundar Pichai had a good time compared to what Facebook, uh, Mark Zuckerberg and Sheryl Sandberg had uh, in their testimony. Um, in particular, I, I think um, I'd also agree that we didn't get to hear much about Project Dragonfly which is Google effort in China. And most of the statements we heard from Sundar Pichai was about no plans to launch in China. 
but I, I think there is uh, many interesting things going on there. It's not clear what the efforts were and uh, how censorship in China interacts with how Google shows its results in the U.S. versus uh, is in China. And um, and I think it reminded me of this quote by Eric Schmidt that we're going to eventually see two kinds of Internet, one uh, one globally, kind of what we see in the U.S. and what we see in China. And, uh, and Google seems to be moving in the direction uh, a little bit. So uh, I wish I actually heard more on that, and we did not get much clarity or clarification on that story. Well, I, I think, Andrew, what we're seeing is, is that at a certain point, it seems like Google, like a lot of companies right now, understand that there is a value in being involved in China and they are willing to do a variety of different things to to have that presence in China, whether or not they they mesh with the rules that we have here in the United States. Yes, exactly. And in this way, this may hint at a fundamental shift in Google's corporate position on engagement with uh, less free regimes. And so uh, if that is what's happening internally, a conscious shift uh, of what the prior decade plus of Google's engagement has been, um, this is something that uh, certainly the shareholders would be interested in hearing directly, um, but it's not necessarily something that leadership would want to advertise that right. they have gone from where they started with the don't be evil motto um, all the way to, well, maybe engage with some regimes that many people would view as evil, but we do it in a limited way or whatever the, the reality of the extent of exchange is. And that's part of the, the question that we just don't know how embedded they really are. Yeah, so certainly their market share is very low in China and uh, uh, Baidu, compared to Baidu, for example. And... Um, and this is a struggle that many, many American internet firms have been having. The Amazon certainly has had problems in China. Uber withdrew from China. So this is a market um, that um, is a tremendously large market, um, nearly a billion smartphone users. So clearly a lot of growth there and future there. And the company somehow had to have to triangulate between um, their policies on freedom and privacy on the internet versus monitoring and, uh, and censorship and regulation in China. So um, it is going to be an interesting process that we're going to see evolve um, in the upcoming years on how these companies handle them. Andrew, you said a, a couple of minutes ago that there, there were some very, I think, important nuggets that, that kind of came out in the testimony. Uh, and I guess the next step in the process is, do we believe that Google and, and Mr. Pichai will take these to heart and bring them back to his team and will, you know, will to try to start to implement some of these things or at least consider them as, as options uh, for Google down the road? I think continued engagement with members of Congress will keep the pressure on to make sure that these uh, these nuggets, as, as you refer to them, keep uh, uh, stay as a priority and are um, maintaining their position on the, the list of to-dos. Um, for example, one of the more obscure but significant exchanges happened with Pramila Jayapal, um, who's a representative from Seattle and Edmonds in Washington, where she pushed Pashai on 
forced arbitration provisions in employment agreements. Right. And while that sounds boring and legal, that is an, an issue that resonates with uh, workers throughout the country. And it's something that uh, not only Google, but other companies in the Valley have had pushback from their own employees on. And uh, the conversation kind of exploded in the context of settlements over sexual harassment suits, but this goes more broadly to worker conditions and uh, worker free speech. So it's sort of the other side of the coin of um, ostensibly what the, the free speech issues might have been most generously construed that we heard more that we heard previously uh, about uh, opinions of, of employees. Um, so it's an obscure contract provision, but yet it has meaningful ramifications for employees who are treated uh, unfairly in the workplace or who may want to talk about their employment, post-employment, or start new businesses. Um, and if you are leaving a company and have a, a good idea and you haven't used the resources of the company or, uh, and you're doing it on your, your free time and you want to start a business, you might think twice because you realize that you won't have the ability to go to court to litigate this out and demonstrate that you have not stolen any corporate resources in this, but instead you're forced into a, a sealed room with an arbitrator, and there have been traditionally concerns that arbitrators may not present the same degree of fairness as a judge because they see repeat players of big companies who may end up picking up the tab, and so they sort of know which side of the bread they're, they're is buttered, and they uh, may lean more in their results toward the deep pocket client, and uh, therefore workers may not get a fair shake. That's what some of the research has raised as a concern. So going to court presents a more equitable step and one that is arguably more innovation sensitive. Cynthia? Uh, certainly, I'm not an expert on forced, uh, on the legal process in order to force arbitration, but uh, uh, from reading um, all the events at walkouts that have happened uh, at Google and so on, and it just seems like forced arbitration is a process that should uh, uh, that should wind to its end. Um, and I certainly agree uh, with Andrea there. But it, it also goes to uh, this part of it and a variety of other pieces of the story, Cynthia. It, it goes to kind of the culture within Google right now and, and how that company is run. Not necessarily the, the, the online side of it, but just the day-to-day -day operations within their offices around the globe. I think all, all firms, when they, uh, when they reach a large scale, uh, corporate culture, uh, employee culture becomes very important uh, to, to preserve uh, success and morale of the, of the company, of the employees. And um, so certainly Google has, ha has been having this conversation. And I think it's just not Google, uh, as Andrea pointed out. A lot of companies have been having this conversation. This is uh, uh, that way. I like what Sundar, Sundar Pichai brings into the company. Unlike uh, many Silicon Valley companies and big platforms that are run by their founders, uh, Sundar Pichai joined the company later. Warren Alam um, grew through the company, understands his culture, intends to change it, and I, I see him as a, as, a, as a, could be as a as a person who. Uh, 
who could move towards uh, resolving some of these problems compared to other companies run by founders. Do, do you feel any better, Andrea, after yesterday about Google and the issues of data privacy? Um, it, well, I follow them pretty closely, so it sort of just reaffirmed what uh, my my view has, has been. I mean, I think that they're, they're trying to build out different kinds of uh, dashboards and to engage in, in ways um, that some users will, will view as constructive, certainly. Uh, I think it's been an evolution that they're willing to more directly engage with Congress on the point of privacy regulation. Um, and uh, that's just a recognition of where the political climate is. Um, the bottom line is that their business model depends on pairing audiences with advertisers. And so uh, Google has always traditionally been pretty good on security and um, a concern for privacy uh, because of the nature of, of the way that they uh, have their, their business model structured. Um, so, yeah, you know, yes and no. But I think the, yeah. the room for improvement that was highlighted by some members of Congress in terms of user education, and uh, so one of the, the moments that I think some people viewed as uh, demonstrative of perhaps a lack of skill on the part of one of the representatives, but I will recharacterize as maybe highlighting a, an area where Google could do more. Uh, one of the representatives said, well, you know, it's hard to operate these these dashboards and interfaces, and there's no human that I can just go to <laughs> and right. get help from. So on the one hand, that sounds like grandpa, you know, didn't have enough coffee. On the other hand, Maybe what he's trying to highlight is the fact that a company like Apple has a genius bar. Yeah. And there is a physical place where a human can personalize a tutorial to help a user understand how to engage with the product. That's a valid critique. Yeah. So there were some, some nuggets hidden in, uh, in between some of the uh, bits of questions that, that may have come off as less than... Uh, technologically sophisticated, but but on the point of technological sophisticated, one sophistication, one of the efforts that Congress can undertake, uh, the Office of Technology, uh, the OTA, the Office uh, of Technology Assessment, was zeroed out in budget a long time ago um, under uh, uh, in the 80s under a, a different administration, um, and so one thing that Congress could do is to recreate that office as an office of information technology assessment with a more narrow mission to help get members of Congress up to speed to the same level on both sides of the aisle on just the, the factual basics of these technology issues, which are complex. And so not having a shared baseline across members of Congress on technology is part of the problem here. And it's a fixable problem if they would just start up a revised version of this technology office that they zeroed out in budget that served to create reports and uh, shared factual baselines of knowledge from which then uh, members of Congress would build their own policy positions. 
Um, I agree with, especially with the divergence between Apple and Google that Andrea pointed out. Um, as an operations person, information person, I always say uh, stores aren't dead, and uh, it's how <laughs> we should think about stores as changing. And Apple has been in the forefront of being in the physical world, engaging with its customers, and both from the privacy standpoint and usability standpoint. And uh, I I feel that uh, this is a push. Um, so it's not really a generation gap there. I feel it's, uh, you should think of, one should think of stores as a channel where consumer consumers interact with the firm. And Google hasn't had big success there compared to Apple. And certainly Amazon is also moving in the direction of engaging with customers using their stores and so on. So this is definitely not a generation gap. I feel it, uh, that there is a gap there that Google can address, just like Apple did. What do you think then, if, if you can look back at some of the other testimony that's occurred over the last year then, with, with that combined with what we saw with Mr. Pichai yesterday, what do you take from this last several months of testimony in terms of the operation of these companies, their influence on society, and where we are potentially headed in terms of the idea of regulating these companies? Yeah, I think regulation is is unquestionably hovering around here. These are large companies. These are expanded in their scope and operations quite a bit. Um, world over, people use them. So it's not just the United States government that's interested in regulating these companies. Certainly, UK has had uh, a challenge with Facebook. Um, WhatsApp has been regulated in India. Uh, China's uh, big on regulation. So definitely, uh, this is not a question. Um, uh, that should be. I, I think the way to think about this, one way to think about this at least is these uh, these firms have been great for consumers and and therefore um, consumer welfare has generally increased uh, on use of, on on products that they get and the prices that they see and things like that. But there are other concerns like data privacy. How do you hold data? How do you communicate what you're doing to consumers? Transparency about uh, what uh, efforts companies have undertaken. These things have been um, uh, not uh, looked at that carefully, and therefore I certainly agree that there needs to be more uh, more examination of this. So whatever we learned from congressional testimony yesterday uh, seems to be less, but I think these are good things. Uh, these bring out salient points that we haven't thought about, uh, consumers haven't thought about. So in some ways, these continued examinations are, are, are a good way to think about how to constantly rethink these companies and how they position themselves in the world. Andrea? Yeah. I think the big takeaway for me is that trust is really the currency of this generation of innovation. While data may have been the driver of uh, the last decade of building out new companies, the challenge that exists now relates to maintaining the engagement of companies, products, and services with the consumer base. And that is going to be driven by trust. And you see some of the players in, for example, the cryptocurrency space talking about building slowly in order to ensure that there is confidence in their products. Um, and that idea of building for trust and building for consumer confidence is parallel to the way that, for example, the Securities and Exchange Commission looks at the regulation of our markets, the way that other 
uh, regulators also analyze uh, the ability of consumers to understand what's going on with the products and services that they use and whether the marketing practices, for example, are fair and undeceptive. So this idea of trust and how to converge the current slightly fast and loose innovation economy with a robust trust architecture to ensure that uh, the next generation of innovation doesn't burn out the goodwill of the American uh, consumer base for technology, but instead builds on the success stories that we've seen in the, the Googles and the Microsofts and the, the Facebooks as they've existed to this point. Was that trust was that trust lacking, Andrea, or was it not even realistically a concept that in many cases these companies were thinking about? I think that is one of the variables that we see at different levels in different companies. I think that uh, Pishai was trying to reinforce implicitly or explicitly uh, the seriousness with which uh, Google views itself as trying to build trust, um, whereas the testimony of Zuckerberg, uh, from my perspective, did little to create a feeling of reinforcing user trust. It created the sense of a company that is interested more in its bottom line than in defending its consumer base. Uh, and I think this is going to be the differentiator across the major technology companies that consumers will increasingly notice and that the level of disgruntlement among consumers and regulators will map to the, tr the air quotes, trustworthiness right. of the various companies and their brands driven by the headlines of um, privacy issues, security breaches, um, and the general transparency with which users have a fair shot of understanding what is going on with their information. Today, I think a vast majority of users, myself included, and I study this stuff for a living, cannot tell you at any given moment which apps are doing what on our phones. And if some, if some weird command gets executed, I'm not sure which app initiated that and why data that started in app one suddenly appears to have triggered advertising in app two. And having those flows of information become transparent so yeah. that average consumers can understand what's going on, that's really at the heart, I think, of what the members of Congress who were seeking clarification on privacy were getting at. And I think that's the model that consumers would view as a transparent model that helps them trust the companies that they're doing business with. But Andrea, and note something there, Cynthia, which I think is important, is the understanding by the consumer, which I think in general, if, if you were to walk through Philadelphia or New York City, consumers, I think, in general wouldn't have that whether there were changes made or not. So it's adapting the, the processes, the apps, the whole system so that there is an even easier way to be able to understand a lot of what is going on. For sure. I think um, this is a complex world. A lot of things change in the app space. And um, I cannot imagine a world where all consumers understand everything that right. goes on with this process. Right. Um, so I do agree that oper having operational transparency is one of the keys to improve trust. And um, 
and firms need to be very clear, very uh, uh, not in a garbage language of uh, user agreements, but very clear about what kind of data they collect, what is important to them, how they use their data, and how it benefits consumers. It's not that the consumers object to data being collected all the time. Yeah. It's just that uh, in understanding how it is used and in what ways it's important for consumer experience. Cynthia, and, uh, yeah. great having you here today. Thank you, Cynthia. Thank you. Happy thank you. Andrea, thank you for your time today. My pleasure. Thank you. Andrea Matwishin joining us on the phone from Northeastern University. Uh, Senthil Viragon from here at the Wharton School joining us here in studio. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.